2: Welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Out on the Water by the Catoways. This indie soul duo from Dayton, Ohio, is our featured Ohio music artist tonight. So stick around to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you all about them and how to find their music. And we will let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. Co host Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal.
1: Hi, everybody. Well, you can forget Phantom of the Opera, Steve. If you want to find a haunted music house, you don't need to go to France. Do you know where you can find a, a better story in Ohio?
2: No, where's that at?
1: I'm going to take you to Cincinnati.
2: Cincinnati.
1: S- Cincinnati, they have this grand and beautiful music hall, which has sat on Elm Street for nearly 150 years. Now, this place isn't haunted because of the building, although its age would suggest it has every right to be. They say the ghosts that linger here are prisoners of the land the hall sits on, a piece of property with a dark history unparalleled in the city maybe unparalleled in the state why could the soil here hold such power over spirits well for the answer to that we need to start almost 200 years ago it's 1838 and resting at the wharf in cincinnati is the elegant steamboat moselle built right there on the ohio river Newspapers referred to it as a brag boat because its captain boasted she was among the fastest vessels of her day. She had already made a couple of record-setting trips from Cincinnati to St. Louis. On April 21, I found a news item in the Pittsburgh Gazette that said Captain Isaac Perrin had sent them word wanting everyone to know the steamer had gone from St. Louis to Pittsburgh in just 64 hours. By April 25, she was back in Cincinnati, getting ready for her third trip to St. Louis. The boat filled with passengers as it prepared to depart that Wednesday afternoon. About 280 people were on board as the steamboat pulled away from the shore around 5 p.m. She traveled maybe about a mile upriver to Cincinnati's Fulton neighborhood, where she paused to pick up a family that was scheduled to join the ship from a lumber raft. But while the Moselle held steady, waiting for the family to board, the captain kept building up steam. It was his intent to sprint past the rest of the city so everyone could see how fast his boat was. He also wanted to overtake another steamer, the Ben Franklin, which had left the wharf a short time before him. It was a horrific mistake. An engineer on board knew it, too. He even shouted that the boilers had too much steam and were in danger of blowing up when all of a sudden they did just that. An explosion, the likes of which the city had never seen before. Every timber forward of the paddle wheels disintegrated into splinters. News reports of the day shared harrowing scenes. A stunned father with a scalded child on one side, a dead daughter on the other, his wounded wife at his feet. There was the wailing of another father who had lost his wife and five children. One witness told of a boy that was standing on shore begging someone to rescue his father, mother, and three sisters who were all in the water struggling to get to shore. The witness said the boy watched his family perish one at a time. No one could reach them in the chaos. The boat was 30 feet from shore when it exploded, and Captain Perrin himself had been blasted all the way to land. His mangled body was found in the street. Another man was thrown onto the rooftop of a house while various body parts rained from the sky and littered the shoreline. There was this observation from the cincinnati wig heads limbs bodies and blood were seen flying through the air in every direction attended by the horrible shrieks and groans from the wounded and the dying i even found an illustration done in 1840 about the moselle explosion and it showed bodies flying through the air the half of the boat that survived the explosion drifted about a 100 yards downriver with some crew and passengers who had survived the blast. But the boat sank until it came to rest on the bottom of the Ohio, taking its living cargo with it. Few people made it to shore. The chimney of the ship poked above the surface like a tombstone marking the watery grave. More than 150 passengers and crew died, or were presumed to have died. In truth, because so many people had been obliterated, the number of the missing equaled the number of the dead that had been recovered. The body parts that rained from the sky that day were collected and buried at the city's paupers field. It was an unmarked cemetery that the city called Place of Nameless Graves, a field off present-day Elm, and West 12th Streets. The Pauper's Field adjoined a new insane asylum, the first in Ohio when it was built just a few years earlier. The burial ground also got quite a workout in 1932 when a cholera outbreak killed 4% of the city's residents. Among Ohio communities, Cincinnati was particularly susceptible to epidemics because of traffic along the river and the canal. But there came a time when the place of nameless graves wasn't welcomed in that neighborhood anymore, and residents and businesses no longer wanted to be near the insane asylum, which had been converted into a military hospital for the Civil War. They called the institution the Pest House. And so the asylum and the hospital were relocated outside the city, and the pauper's field was turned into a recreational area called Elm Street Park. The bodies were left beneath the soil, untouched. That is, until 1870. That park was a blank canvas that was just waiting for a purpose. And that purpose was revealed as the Queen City prepared to host two big events, its first industrial exposition, and a national German musical festival called the North American Sangerbund. Both groups needed temporary buildings, so they decided to share a construction plan. And over Elm Street Park, they erected a complex of four vast wooden structures that were called Exposition Hall or Sangerfest Hall, depending on who was using it. Construction of those buildings reminded people of what had been on the land before that park. The Cincinnati commercial reported that when an elevator shaft was sunk into the ground for one of the structures, crews had to remove a barrel full of skulls and bones, which were simply placed under the floor in another portion of the building. Here's a quote from the newspaper. Not a foot of ground lies under the exposition building, unoccupied by moldering bones, human bones, which the ringed worms have long since tired of gnawing. The exposition buildings, described in one report as dingy, gloomy, and grotesque, only lasted about five years. Because Cincinnati had new plans for that property. A beautiful and grand music hall. Before construction began in 1876, reporters recalled the history of the property and came across a night watchman who shared his paranormal experiences at the site. He told of how he once heard a loud knock on the door one snowy night, but opened the door to find no one, not even footprints in the fallen snow.
3: revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French history podcast today.
1: And the time he heard what sounded like a man marching in the main hall while dragging a musket across the wooden floor. A medium investigated and decided it was a soldier, probably a Civil War vet who died at the hospital that had been built there. Here's a quote from The Night Watchman. Again, this was published in 1876. The weirdest and strangest noises would occur at intervals all night, rappings on the ceiling, under the floor, on the doors and windows, the sound of stealthy footfalls behind me, or of loud tramping before me. The crash of heavy timbers thrown from the ceiling, of glass dashed upon the floor, of heavy bodies being dragged over the planking. These never ceased except during exposition time. They never touch me, but I always know when they are around, by an icy chill, a thrill as of electricity a feeling like what the French call peau de poulet, goose flesh. They never annoy me now by mere knocking and rapping, for I have gotten used to it, so used to it that sometimes when people have knocked at the door, I didn't open. Because I thought it was only the dead, they kept knocking, knocking, knocking. Well, After these fun recollections were shared, construction for the music hall began and they only served to reinforce the site's chilling reputation because all those bodies were still in the soil. The residents of the insane asylum, the citizens that didn't survive the cholera epidemic, the crew and passengers of the Moselle steamboat, the Civil War veterans who succumbed to their wounds at the military hospital. Music Hall architect George Roth wrote about the job of unearthing numerous graves for construction. He said the bones were reinterred in Spring Grove Cemetery, but apparently they didn't find them all, because decades later, in 1927, they found three more coffins, which they reburied in the basement of Music Hall. And later that same year, more excavations turned up 65 more graves, which earned that side of Music Hall the nickname Valley of Death. Those bones were also reburied right on the site. And then in 1988, crews were putting in another elevator shaft when they uncovered 207 pounds of bones that had been encased in concrete. The University of Cincinnati took those bones for an anthropological study. Before we go on, I want to give credit for a lot of this information to Greg Hand in a story he wrote for Cincinnati Magazine in 2015. There's little doubt there are more bodies buried beneath the land the Music Hall sits on, and the hall doesn't shy away from its legacy. The Society for the Preservation of Music Hall offers ghost tours of the buildings, although I'm assuming that's been suspended until the current pandemic is over. I went to their website and found some modern day ghostly encounters. Reportedly, the late Cincinnati Pops music director, Eric Kunzel, who spent many nights at music hall working on programs, said the ghosts were always friendly. He said, they are definitely in this building, some sort of spirits. If anybody thinks I'm nuts, come here at three in the morning, four in the morning. Cincinnati Opera CEO, Patricia Beggs also related a story that had been told to her by a fellow opera employee in the 90s. She said the man came in with his three-year-old son, Charlie, and they were on stage with the little boy pretending he was performing when he suddenly said, Daddy, who's that man in the box? His father looked at box nine and said, there's nobody in the box, Charlie. To which Charlie said, yes, there is. He's waving at me right now. A longtime employee, Terry Kidney, says on the website, a box office worker once reported that the bell at the window kept dinging, but he repeatedly looked around the box office and couldn't find anything. Finally, he went into an office, heard yet another ding, but this time he went out, felt a tug at his shirt, and looked down to see a little boy in period dress. And then there was a modern day watchman, John Angst, who had numerous stories. One was the night he was working alone and he heard music playing. He said he went looking for it, even took the elevator to another floor in search of it. But he couldn't find the source, even though the music never wavered. He could never find where it was coming from.
2: You know, I I looked this up while you were doing the podcast. This thing is huge. It looks like something like King Henry the Eighth, one of his mansions.
1: It is. It's amazing. And whether you believe in ghosts or not, it's a place you want to visit. Preferably while there's music playing there.
2: (laughs) And how enjoyable was it for you to read the part where a reporter said something about the worms long stopped gnawing? (laughs) I mean... (laughs)
1: That was very creative. It certainly gave me the image. Right. But I, I am just amazed at the history under this building. I mean, it's, I mean, that's real. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, the history of that land is truly one of sadness and death.
2: Yeah, right. Well, we're not done exploring this topic because tonight we have a couple of armchair detectives with their own stories and research to share.
1: Well, joining us tonight are the brother and sister team of Bradley Garwood from New Jersey and Erica Reed from Fort Collins, Colorado, Cincinnati natives with a a very... uh, very close connection with the queen city hi guys thanks for joining us hi
3: thank you for having us
1: why don't each of you tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves
3: my name is bradley thanks for introducing me thanks for having me on your guys' show yeah i'm originally from cincinnati ohio specifically the east side of town eastgate Uh, I'll give a shout out to the jungle gyms that was just built there. That's my old stomping ground, if you will. So my connection, I'll kind of share the story of my connection to your guys' podcast. It's been about a decade since I've lived in the Buckeye State. I was looking for a way to connect back to Ohio. Right? I'm a big fan of Ohio. I really love where I'm from, but it's hard to connect when you don't live there anymore. So I have a long drive from work every day. I'm in the car for a couple hours every day. And I thought, hey, a podcast might be the perfect way to learn a little bit more about where I'm from. So I found you guys, put you in, and I love hearing the stories about it. So I really am fortunate that you guys are having us.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you found us. Erica, how about you out in Colorado?
0: Yeah. So my connection to your podcast is Bradley. That is my brother. And I also love Ohio, even though I don't live there now. I moved with my husband to Fort Collins, Colorado about three years ago, just because my husband and I had both lived in Ohio all of our lives, and we just wanted a change of scenery he really likes to mountain bike and i like to be outside so we've done a lot of that but i find myself even more in love with ohio now that i'm not there (laughs) i don't know bradley if you feel the same way i needed a little distance from it and now there's just so much that i miss about it and And we can talk a little bit about Music Hall and my connection to that building a little later, too. But um, that is a particular interest to me. I worked there for a long time and really treasure that part of town. I did live in over the Rhine for a few years and right in the neighborhood of Music Hall. But, of course, I also grew up on the east side with Bradley.
1: Well, let's jump into that right away. I want to know more about your connection to Music Hall. Sure. So I have worked in
0: marketing for about two decades. Um, and about ten of those years I worked for the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. I was the director of marketing there. And they perform out of Music Hall. That is their home. It's also the performance home of the ballet and the opera, but the CSO is what I'll call it, um, is the main tenant of that building. And so I worked in Music Hall, that the offices for the orchestra are there as well. And in a particular interest, I worked there during its most recent renovation. It reopened in 2017, and it was during that renovation that there were a lot of Uh, Additional bodies excavated and things like that because they were excavating freight elevators and areas of the building that hadn't been renovated in a major way for a long time. And so when I was hearing the story that you guys were exploring tonight, that's kind of what brought it up in my mind. I just, they knew when they were doing these renovations that they were going to be finding human remains there. It wasn't a question of if, it was a question of where and when, both in the in Music Hall itself and in Washington Park, which is sort of Music Hall's front yard. There's this big, beautiful park there that a few years before Music Hall's renovation, they renovated to put a parking garage in. And again, that area was part of the sort of pauper's graveyard where I believe bodies were taken for a medical school and there are all kinds of stories about that. And when they were excavating both that area and music hall itself, they were coming across um, a lot of human remains. So it's something that I have experienced firsthand. I didn't hold the shovel, but I was in charge of communicating with people when these things were happening because there was a lot of public interest around that renovation and around what they would find because a lot of people in the area are really fascinated by the history of, of music hall and the way it was built and the grounds
1: on which it was built. It sounds to me like you just can't put a shovel in the ground there without expecting the possibility of finding something that does that make them particularly nervous to do anything? Well, so a couple of things I'll say.
0: During the renovation of Music Hall, the most recent renovation, I should say, it's been renovated in numerous ways. I th- Even in your story, you talk about the exposition halls and all the different forms this building has taken through its entire history. But in the most recent renovation, there was a particular area of the building, the freight elevator, that they were turning into some offices. I have worked out of those offices and they would they would cut down a certain line see what human remains they found there. They had certain people had to come in and clear the area officially, reinter bones of a certain age or, or what have you. But literally they did not excavate past a certain line because they knew there were more bones to be found there that they didn't have the time to deal with. So there was like a line of demarcation. There are still bodies under music hall, that they have not dealt with. And it was during this project that I learned that there is a statute of limitations, the point at which human remains become dirt. I think it's something like 125 years. So, after that age, it is classified as dirt and they no longer have to reinter those remains, which is something I found really fascinating during the process. So, yes, they were nervous to find it, but they also knew that if the officials would come in and they were able to date the bones of, or whatever they were finding to be a certain age, they also did not have to deal with it in a certain way.
1: So some of the bones under music hall would be older than 125 years. Correct. So there is a way, there's an easy way for them to date. I mean, do they have to like check every single bone they unearth and decide if it? That is
0: above my pay grade in itself. But I know I can tell you that there are people who come and make that call. There are people who have to come and say if it's something that needs to be reinterred, or they they know what they expect to find there, and they know how they have to handle it legally and respectfully. I, I want to make it clear, too, that the teams that I was interacting with were not trying to cut any corners. They also wanted to be respectful of, of what they found, but there are people who do come in and determine whether it's dirt or whether it's something that needs to be treated in a special way.
1: Wow. I I can't even, I haven't heard of any story like this in Ohio. I wonder if there's any other facility in the entire state that deals with that on such a regular basis. It just sounds really unique. It is. It's a a really special site. (laughs) Bradley, you've probably been to Music Hall many times,
3: huh? So not as many as I wish. It's a building that it's just really easy to get lost in. And uh, I say that because I do remember visiting my sister when she worked there, and uh, she was very you know, easily able to navigate the entire building. And I think that's something the listeners kind of need to keep in mind that this is an old building. And if you're not familiar with it, it's one of those ones that's super easy to get lost in. That's where I would put in a plug for maybe taking a tour if you want to learn about it, because so much of that building is unaccessible to the general public. Even if you're there to see maybe just a show, you're not going to see all of music hall the way, you know, kind of if you have someone who's on the inside might be able to show you. Um, so I remember going into that building and just seeing, Oh man, this is a labyrinth. And uh, when I hear, you know, Of course, there's ghost stories about it. That place is super old and it's got so much history. It'd be hard not to get a ghost story about it. So I do remember vividly going there, seeing my sister and her kind of taking me around some of the places that were just fascinating to see.
1: Now, it sounds like they kind of openly talk about their reputation as not only Having the ground beneath them, you know, former graveyard, but the ghost stories that go with it. Is that something, am I right in reading that they really kind of embrace that reputation?
0: I would I would say so. There are unofficial companies that give ghost tours of Music Hall regularly, and they give ghost tours of many sites uh, around Cincinnati. But there is also the group that manages Music Hall, Cincinnati Arts Association, also gives ghost tours, especially, you know, around Halloween and and heading into this time of year, that go that give their own ghost tours of the building because it's something that just fascinates the area. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of music hall or you've watched videos of it, but it's a very enormous imposing building. And I think that it really just inspires the imagination of people, even if you don't know it was built on a pauper's graveyard or any of that. You have a sense when you see this big German gothic you know, building with all its gorgeous details, you have a sense of history without having to be told. And when Bradley says that, you know, we took tours of the hall, I love to give a back tour when I a backstage tour when I worked there. When he says that it was really confusing to get around, I mean during the renovation, again the one that wrapped up around 2017, one of the big goals of the renovation was to unify the building because The floors didn't match because it's three different buildings cobbled together for different purposes, built in different times. The wings are built at a different time than was built the central Sanger Hall for for the music. And and you you still get a sense, a convoluted history, a really twisted, different amount of things happened there that didn't always come together smoothly, including in the building itself. And I I just think that being in the building, you do get a sense of um, what must have happened there.
1: So before we go into the ghost stories, I have to ask each of you, do you believe in ghosts?
3: Absolutely Uh, not.
1: (laughs) No, you have never had an experience that made you even be open minded about it.
3: Uh, I can't say that I have, which is why I would lean more to, to liking the true crime stories of your guys' show. Um, that's why even when we spoke initially, you know, and you said, hey, you know, you're, I'll plug your guys' Patreon. Definitely, if you guys you know, are listening to this podcast, jump on the Patreon. That's where we connected for the first time. And you said, hey, have you ever considered being a, uh, uh, you know, armchair detective? I said, you know, maybe not the supernatural stuff, but the true crime sounds great. Never had that close connection in that experience with something supernatural before, so...
1: And then I sent you this one, and you said, my sister! Yeah, I
3: had to jump on it. It was a perfect connection. And you guys can hear just how eloquently she talks about it. I was like, I got the right expert for this. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor, a Civil War Army doctor, and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The SIECLA, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get
0: podcasts.
1: I loved researching this story so much. I love history, and you every inch of this building is history. Every year is history, you know, every connection. I just absolutely loved it. All right, Erica, how about you? Ghosts? So so here's the thing.
0: I believe in science. I am a very logical person, but I cannot say that I understand everything that happens on this planet. And I will tell you, one of the people that keeps me from completely discarding the idea of ghosts is Bradley and my grandfather, who still shows up to me in little ways. It may be a bird or a fox or a feeling, but our grandfather still shows up to me in a lot of ways that I can't quite explain, that are, are benign. I've never seen him walking around, but You know, the sense I still feel of him being in my life makes me not want to say I completely don't believe in ghosts. In Music Hall, I haven't had the same encounters that um, Patty Beggs mentions in in your story. I haven't literally seen people walking around, but it was often my job to help close up the house at midnight after a concert. And that building has vibes.
1: (laughs) And she drops it right there. Do you want to expound on that a little bit? I do not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that it's something I could explain to you. I have even, I have walked through the halls of that space, again, when it's all dark and there's nobody but me and the security guard in the building. And I have said, like, all right. Show yourself to me. I'm open to it and got nothing. But then at other times, you just get this sort of something around the corner feeling or I don't know. There's a it's very steeped in history.
1: Now, there are some very smart, well-respected people connected with the music hall. Um, Patricia Beggs was one. Eric Kunzel was another uh, um a, Cincinnati Pops music director I don't know, does that lend a little bit more weight to the idea of there being possibly something paranormal going on
0: In my experience the stories that capture people's imaginations are not of the famous people who have walked the halls the story that comes to my mind I heard some of the backstage staff talking about that there was and I'm I don't know his exact position, a stagehand or something similar who passed away after a long tenure working um, at Music Hall. And then I believe his name was Roger. And whenever the rest of the stage crew would have a question that only Roger could answer, a specific phone would ring in the building. And it was a phone that, of course, was not hooked up to any phone line. It, It tends to be, in the stories that I hear, it tends to be about... The people buried beneath, the people who have worked in the building for a long time, the working class folks who have made Music Hall what it is, and not as much about the famous people who have
1: trodden the boards. All right. I, you know, for people who believe in ghosts, you know, all the stories that I hear from people who say they've had an experience They're not scary. I mean, they're not inherently bad ghosts. And it just makes me wonder if there were ever bad ghosts there, if the idea of being surrounded by that beautiful music all the time would have soothed the savage beast, so to speak. I mean, I guess if you want to believe in ghosts, you've got to believe that if they're in a music hall, they're probably loving it.
0: Paula, I was gonna suggest the same thing because I I don't know how I feel about ghosts, but I do know how I feel about music. It is an incredible force for good and beauty and love. And I think it would be very hard for a negative paranormal force to find root in music hall. It is and has always been a place of just incredible music making. And I just don't think you'd be able to hold on there.
1: Now, I have to ask if people go there to the music hall, are there any markers or monuments or signs that kind of point this part of the history out or say here's where the graves are or anything like that that they should be looking for?
0: You know, I I don't know off the top of my head if there are signs that talk specifically about ghost and paranormal, but I would recommend that your listeners look up the Friends of Music Hall, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the history of the hall. And during the renovation process, I worked really closely with them because they knew the way that, for instance, the building was supposed to be in the late 1800s. And they uncovered all kinds of details about transom windows and little tiny details that would have been lost to history that they have been dedicated to resurfacing and sharing and so they are separate from Cincinnati Arts Association which manages the hall and the tenant organizations the symphony the opera the ballet they are separate from that and they are are completely dedicated to the history and they I know that they've been working on their website to share as many of these stories I hear a lot from Taya Jepkama does a lot of really in-depth history on the building, and she does not shy away from parts of it of, it, of the history that might be less palatable.
1: Well, it sounds like whether you're in true, into the ghost element of this story or just love history and music, it just looks like the music hall is a place you need to put on your bucket list for a visit.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think If you can only take a tour, take a tour. But I don't think you have seen Music Hall until you have heard music being played there. It's uh, a really special place for that. And so if you get a chance to do that, I hope that you do, because it's just another level. Bradley, anything from you?
3: I think you guys did a fantastic job covering Music Hall. That's why I wanted to bring my sister onto this podcast, because I knew she would hit all the points that need to be hit. I would say personally, you know, I might not believe in ghosts, but I definitely don't want to let the truth get in the way of a good story. Uh, I think that's something the listeners of this podcast and we can all kind of agree on. So, you know, you mentioned talking about do people kind of perpetuate this myth around Music Hall? I want to perpetuate it. Because I think it really brings in uh, that cultural respect and that uh, ability that music has when you guys can all huddle around a building and say, all right, this place makes some creepy noises at night. And we all think that's pretty cool. So uh, that's really all I have about Music Hall.
1: And the history and the soil is real. I mean, those bodies are real. The asylum was real. The military hospital was real. The Moselle steamboat was real the cholera epidemic and, the, and its victims, that is all real. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate your insight and your experiences.
0: Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. I really love getting to talk about one of my favorite buildings in the whole world.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. This has been a dream come true getting to speak with you guys.
2: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com.
1: And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. The Cadawicks are a duo from the Dayton area. Allison Justice and Matt Washburn have been performing together for almost a decade and just recently released their new EP, In the Pocket, with a lot of beautiful melodic vocals and rhythmic guitar. The musical partners split their time between Ohio and Nashville. And I know Matt Washburn has his imprint on the careers of a whole lot of other musicians as a producer. Anyway, look for The Catawicks on Facebook or Instagram and keep up with their careers on the website, theCatawicks.com.
2: Well, let's have another listen to Out on the Water by The Catawicks. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.